Hi, this is Marcus Robinson, Collaborations Executive Director. This is Sam Colas. I'm LaDonna Tittle. This is Anthony Mosley of Collaboration Theater Company. This is Creola Kizard Hampton. And you're listening to And I encourage you to listen to One Song Famous with Dr. Tony Dunbar. this became a podcast idea, I started thinking about my favorite song, which is Ooh Child by the Five Stair Steps. That song came out in 1970. I've loved that song since the very first time I've heard it, and it's been my favorite song since then, because I can listen to that song, whether it's the original or these, some of these remakes, over and over again. And it's been remade as anything from a country song, to a jazz song, to a rock song, to a pop song, to a, a spiritual or gospel song. I've developed a, a playlist with just this song. Hence, now we have one song playlist. I am so glad that I have Mama Gwen, Gwen Winston, and I have Monica Pat Lewis Patrick also known as the Water Warrior, people who contribute to the planet highly out of the Motor City. Ladies, welcome. All right, so we, we were chatting about who we were and what we were doing uh, when Ooh Child came out. Um, I'll go first. I was a precocious eight, eight and seven year old. That was my second grade, third grade year, right? And back then it was AM radio, FM hadn't blown up yet. And every time the song came on, I was that kid in the back seat losing his cookies about turn it up. <laughs> I could hear those first couple little bars of the song. And I was like, <laughs> please turn that up. So uh, Monica was a, a little bit behind me. She was she was the kindergartner grooving. That's right. I, is That's that right. correct? That's totally correct. Totally correct. Dr. Dunbar, I was in the back seat. Uh, because my mom was in nursing school and my uncle would have to drive me and my siblings to nursery school and elementary school. And he had a cutlass. Uh-oh, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, he had a gold cutlass. And so there was nothing like being in the back of that cutlass and he would definitely turn it up. And uh, of course we thought they were talking to us Yes. And so we would all turn into uh, these eight grandchildren of my grandmother's and the three of my mother's children. We thought we had turned into a choir of Ooh Child. So, uh oh. Uh -oh. Uh, yeah, uh -oh. yeah, yeah. I'm so, feeling you right now. <laughs> in, in Chicago, we used to call the Cutlasses the, the Bro Oldsmobile Brohams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we um, thought it was sweet. He had it decorated and it'd always be clean <laughs> and smelling good. Oh, yeah. We didn't know it wasn't for us. It was for the ladies, but uh, we, we thought it was for us. I can only imagine, considering that we're talking to uh, someone from Detroit, that might have just came, that might have literally came off the assembly line right to right to the showroom and into into his possession. Well, you know, my, my Detroit roots uh, actually run through West Virginia and Tennessee. Uh oh. So we would come to Detroit in the summer. My grandfather is the 
seventh oldest brother of Willie Horton, a baseball player. And then his twin sister, my Aunt Faye, married Dr. Julius Griffith, who was the vice president of, uh, of public relations for Motown for 25 years. But he also was a speech writer for Dr. King. He actually contributed to the mountaintop speech. So uh, we oh, see Lord. our roots through that, that lane. But I grew up in a little small town called Kingsport in Northeast Tennessee. Okay. So uh, we always have to make that connection. I have, I'm a Southerner and I'm an adopted Detroiter. Mama Gwen, oh, man. tell us man. about your time or the first time. Can you, do you remember when you heard the Ooh Child the first time? Well, I, you know, I did a little bit of background uh, checking how old I was. I was 23 at that time Ooh. and I had a two year old son. Well, I'm really resonating with uh, that time um, in my life because it was a trying time. <laughs> it was okay. trauma. And, um, and I was driving a Volkswagen because, Ooh, you know, Dump America. Yeah, Dump America. You know, I was in that age and that period where uh, uh, burn the sucker down is what <laughs> the message was uh, about America being in America. And um, uh, at 23, I had been working since I was 15. And at 23, I landed uh, with a, a housing development company and started traveling. And ooh, child, help me through some, you know, some downtime where I, it was going to be better. And that was the the year I took my first uh, plane trip, plane uh -oh. ride. First time I've been on a plane. Went to a national convention and was in a different um, uh, city. I was in D.C. As a matter of fact, and my life just like ooh, child, it changed. <laughs> It changed. I saw a different way of being with people, uh, not color struck, you know, not anti-woman. Um, there was all different people in DC, positions with the government, having power, you know, uh, making yes. things happen yes. in the government. It was like, okay, let me find my let me find my black glove and get the soul power. You done got me fired up now. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, ooh, child. I'm ready to turn into John ooh, Carlos and Tommy Smith right now. <laughs> I can see it. Yeah, I can feel it. You know, the, uh, my dancing even picked up. <laughs> so there, there's two things that come to mind from your shares. First, with uh, with Gwen. Um, I, part of my childhood, my, my mother's youngest brother, my mother is the oldest of six and the next five are, were boys. And my mm -hmm. mother's youngest brother had that, uh, that Volkswagen VW bug, the original, not the new one that, they, that they're copying now. And that had the motor in the back and the trunk <laughs> in the front. Uh, right. So instant memories came back and I am a baseball junkie. In fact, my favorite baseball player recently passed, uh, mm -hmm. Dick Gallen. But mm -hmm. I, the uh, uh, Willie Horton was the original twenty-three. There's a, a statue of him outside of Comerica. Uh, he used to light up a place called Tiger Stadium back in the day. Um, and uh, strong brother, strong brother. He, he, there, there were certain brothers that uh, when they hit the ball, 
you can hear though, you can feel the ball say, ouch, like, you know, this is a line <laughs> drive. Like, you know, some people hit it far and you knew, but you, there was certain when, when, ooh, like, so when the White Sox played the, uh, the Tigers, I was very aware of <laughs> Willie Horton. So that right um, fielder, that right fielder. Yes, 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 yes. And what, what was interesting, uh, he played with a guy named Al Kaline um, back in the day. But what I always hear about Willie Horton was not only about him as a baseball player, but uh, what, who he was as a person. Like, he w- that just wasn't the average dude walking around with sunflower seeds and bubble gum, chewing bubble gum and playing baseball. He was part of the Detroit community. He was always known as kind of an upstanding guy around in, in the baseball, you know, at, at a far. So that's what I remember uh, about him, that uh, as a baseball fan, that the man could hit and no one had a bad thing to say about him ever. No. But when you're the youngest of 18 and you come out of a family of, of hardworking coal miners uh, and what my granddaddy always talked about is he said, yeah, Willie p- plays baseball, but we do real work. We make cars. So, uh, <laughs> so I, I, I think having those older brothers, keeping him humble. Uh, and then he, they all often tease him that my uncle Billy was a better baseball player than him. Ooh. He just got the big chance. So uh, <laughs> uh, there, there's some there's some checking him that happens that I believe keeps him humble and keeps him grounded. I, I get that. I get that. Um, and uh, Monica, you also mentioned uh, uh, Dr. King uh, that you had a family member did speech writing, and for the last. Uh, a couple of interviews, it's hard to talk about 1970 uh, as the beginning of the post-civil rights and not for Dr. King not to come up at some point in those conversations. And I've talked to folks who talked about his speeches, who he was, the times, and, and uh, a different, a couple of different perspectives. But I haven't, have yet to have anyone mention that they were related to one of his uh, speech writers, you know, I, I know some of the names, the uh, Bayard Rustins and all that, but uh, those are things that I've, I've read out of the book. I don't, haven't had any, what they, as a librarian, we call primary resource conversation, someone that was there. So uh, going to be excited to explore that a little. Well, if you get a chance, look up a term, uh, black exploitation. Yes. Uh, that term was coined by Dr. Julius Griffith. Uh, it was, uh, if you look at any of historical reference to it, his name is definitely noted there. And so uh, he was the one inside the SDLC that was giving a more radical framing uh, to some of the things that Dr. King was stating while others were asking him to be, to tone it down, uh, to, to temper it a little bit. Uh, when you hear those, those hard punches, those are Dr. Julius Griffith. And part of what happened is that uh, he was actually recruited by Barry Gordy to do the spoken word series with Motown because of that hard hitting ability, but then his wordsmithing ability to sort of stay within a, a lane of respectability at the same time while throwing blows. And with that series, it was part of what brought together the voice to the nation of Dr. C.L. Franklin. It brought to the nation the voice of Dr. King. It brought to the nation the voice of none other than uh, than the Honorable um, Malcolm X. So, you know, we have to give credit where credit is due. And 
uh, when people talk about that speech, we're honored that he was a part of that, but his work went much deeper than that mountaintop speech. So two points of reference that you said, SCLC, Southern Christian Leadership Conference, and then you uh, mentioned a, a spiritual icon in Detroit, C.L. Franklin, who is the father of? None other than the queen of soul. There is only one. Aretha Franklin. Let me tell you a little bit of how I came up with this particular concept. When I was younger, uh, uh, records were a big deal. So I called 45s on things called turntables and record players. Most of you, if you've never handled one, have probably seen one, a picture of them. When I was a young kid, uh, right after my parents got a divorce, my mom fell in love with this song called Sarah Smile. It was by a group called Hall and & Oates. And she would, on occasion, when she would clean the house, she would just play this one song over and over again. And back then, you could program your turntable record player and set it on 45 and, and hit repeat. There's a lever where you could have repeat on your turntable. The needle went across the record. It would come back and it would play the song. Well, my mother could literally for hours listen to that song and clean the entire house. She felt that way about the song Sarah Smile. It was therapeutic. It, it made her feel good while she was doing some work. And she actually liked to clean her house. I got introduced to the concept through watching my mom and her affinity for the song, Sarah Smile. So I'm with Dr. Clifton Sanders. Oh yeah, I'm happy to be here. And um, first of all, thank you for thank you for asking me and thank you for bringing back that song from the 70s, Ooh Child. That was one of my favorite songs back then. That was such an interesting year. Okay, because I'm old. Um, I was 15. Okay. In, in 1970. And at least in my recollection, um, 1970 was was an interesting year with regard to the civil rights movement of the 60s and everything. I mean, in junior high, well, in elementary school, you know, um, we lived through the assassination of John F. Kennedy in junior high school. We lived through the assassination of Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy, but there had begun, you know, with uh, LBJ's Great Society programs and different kinds of initiatives, particularly after the riots, you know, people were looking for something that could lift people up. You know, you got the rise of black consciousness, black is beautiful and all of those things. And ooh, child kind of capped that. You know, with with all with the lyrics, you know, things are going to be brighter, you know, things are going to be a little bit better and everything. And there was a certain there's a certain sort of, um, I think, if not optimism, there was a certain sort of resolve to be better, you know, to see affirmative action actually work, to see people move into positions, you know, opportunities, despite um you know, despite the obstacles, you know, kind of a kind of a sense of uh, an interesting blend of hope and militancy and all of those things. Everything was cooking there. And then the five stair step song came and everybody gravitated to that wildly popular song, you know, um, not just the lyrics, but the music and everything is just, just so joyful. 
so joyful and, and, and up, uplifting. I think we had mentioned when we when you called me up earlier, you know, Edwin Hawkins singers, Oh Happy Day. Yeah. You know, those yeah, that was that was that was the era where people were daring to hope, yeah. if you will. Yeah. And in a lot of ways it was remarkably short. You know, I did not grow up per se in the black church, although I grew up in the black community, you know, a little hamlet called Turner Station. Um um, outside of uh, Baltimore, Maryland. It's, it's most notable um, these days for being the place where Henrietta Lacks of, of the cancer cell you know, um, fame and everything, that's where she spent a lot of her life. Although, uh, although that, that doesn't come out as much in the, in, in the uh, Oprah movie, it actually comes out in the Rebecca Van Sloot book and um, there's still relatives there. And so I'm from Turner Station. I'm just saying that I've known about, I've known about HELOC, cancer cells and everything since before I went to college. Cause like you said, I was one of those nerd types who read things and it was, and that was actually there with the five stair steps. There was an article in Jet Magazine right about that same time about Henrietta Lacks, the HELOC cells and everything that was going on for cancer. And then all of a sudden it just kind of got buried in the public consciousness until recently. Let me push in for some of my folks who may okay. not have the, the cultural background we have. Jet Magazine was a Johnson Publishing magazine along with Ebony and for a guy like me at that time, you know, being <laughs> inside of my puberty moments, they had a jet a beauty of the week and they all oh, oh had my gosh. and every every everybody every male was looking forward to that weekly magazine to see who was the jet beauty. And then if you were like kind of cool and groovy, they had the top black albums in the back. They listed yep, the yep. music in That's the back. Right. So for folks it was a cultural staple until the last date it was published so for, for for black folks they're like oh no kidding tone you're, you're stating the obvious but hopefully this is a well-rounded conversation that draws many folks and if you if you can google jet magazine you're in for a cultural treat oh you have you absolutely are and i had started my comments saying not growing up in the black church and being familiar with king through the black church right but Growing up in the black community, you know, the 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 other church for at least for black males was the barbershop. And that's where that's where Jet and Ebony and everything was. And so one way or another you got you you know, you know, you got into it. But I'm Dr. Tony Dunbar and we're here at one song playlist. Our guest is LaDonna Tittle was a legend on so many levels and by the time we finish talking you understand what i'm saying welcome ladonna hey thank you tony dr tony uh -oh, uh -oh. <laughs> so th there's so many ways this conversation can start but what i want to start um the song was Ucha was actually released in 1970 so tell us about what you were doing at 24 in 1970. i was uh notified that uh, if I had a couple of more courses, I was able to graduate from Chicago State University, <laughs> have to go into school for seven years, okay? Okay. So whereas it took some kids four years to finish college because I was a working student, it took me a little bit more. So in 1970, they let me know that I was eligible to graduate 
from Chicago State University. And I did in January of seven. Fantastic. So, And I was also uh, involved with uh, my first radio station, WBEE 1570 on your AM dial. During that time, I I was like an intern. They offered me a job and I turned it down because they told me that I could finally graduate from Chicago State. And in other words, it's time for you to get out of here, girlfriend. All right. So since you brought it up, why don't we also talk about the fact that You've used some of your Chicago State, ex- we'll come back to it in, in a bigger fold, but you use some of your Chicago State background in acting. I think you took some some acting courses and, and you're using some of those chops now and you've used them previously, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I was basically in a, um, my major was art mm-hmm. and uh, journalism and I also did some theater stuff at Chicago State. Uh, readings, you know, but basically uh, African art was my major. Awesome. Awesome. So um, you mentioned that you started at WBE, WBEE in 1970, and then that kind of launched uh, a momentum of your career through a couple of decades to the point where folks began to know you as a tittle in the middle when you did midday. Um, but you changed a couple of stations. You were on AM and FM. And I remember when I was in high school, if you were, you weren't cool unless you were listening to AM, and it just started being that transition. And WBMX yeah. was that station. Like if if you knew about BMX, then you were cool, right? If you were still listening to yeah. AM, and uh, <laughs> I remember you being part of that that whole uh, situation. Oh yeah, WBMX, yeah, exactly. And then uh, going to uh, JPC in 1978, uh, and of course the uh, the famous bikini shot, the swimsuit shot. Yep, yep. yep. Uh, Jet Beauty of the Week right here, folks. Yeah, the Jet. Beauty of the Week. Yeah, I tell you, you can't forget that. <laughs> so those of you that are going to go look for it, it's a Jet Magazine Beauty of the Week. You, her name is LaDonna Tittle, and those and the Beauty of the Week was always in the center of a Jet Magazine. So yeah. your homework has yeah. been set. Yes, yes. Yeah, somebody told me you always want to keep a good photograph out there, and I think during this pandemic, somebody sent me that picture, the uh, Jet Magazine, the swimsuit shot, which I have, I have shots of. But when they sent me that, I'm like, yeah, that's really gonna lift my spirits. Let me post this on my Facebook. And I know people were saying, yeah, Tittle, yeah, it was really hot back then. But I'm like, I'm the same person. I just move a little slower, but that's okay. I'm still moving. Exactly. <laughs> and that's the important thing, still moving, creating, and still learning uh, how to get into and stay into the uh, new techno space that we're in these days. But uh, yeah, when I went there, Tittle in the Middle generated because I had a neighbor. Every time I uh, go to the mailbox, he would always say, how's my Tittle in the Middle? So moving from the cool station of BMX and going to a much higher energy station as JPC, I was criticized a lot. It was like, oh, your voice, you should not do that. But of course you move because of the dollars that change in your life. And I've always wanted to make, you know, a little bit more than the last job as we should do, want to do because girls need a lot of things. 
<laughs> and being the shopaholic that I am, <laughs> I uh, looked to that venture and I kept saying, uh, no, I'm not leaving BMX until they actually offered me, let's say like this, I was making 25000 a year with uh, BMX. Uh, when it got up to 55000 to change the JPC, I thought that was a good enough reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you got my attention. <laughs> yeah, you got my attention. And therefore, I think I became the highest paid female at that time. Okay. Uh, during that radio general, you know. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, I can remember even Tom and them used to tease me about, you know, you're making more money than I am. <laughs> And you're referencing Tom, you know, Tom Joyner, right? The Sky Jock? Yeah, yeah. But Mr. Johnson was a very good employer. Probably the best 10 years of my radio career. 11 years, really. I'm honored that uh, both the artistic and executive director of Collabor Action have joined us. And uh, with Dr. Marcus and Anthony, I'm not just talking to folks that are uh, really committed to things. I'm just I'm also talking about some fun, good guys. Right. It's, it's one thing to work around or, or be connected with people that get stuff done. But it's also uh, really great when those people are cool to be around. Right. So it's you're, no no teeth pulling, no, no, no hair pulling out. It's just, hey, I enjoyed that. And, and I've always walked away uh, with any and all of my collaboration engagements with that feeling like. Yeah, I was I was doing the right thing with some with the right people. So welcome, brothers. Thank you so much for having us, Tony. Absolutely, so glad to be here. I even got my mic turned on. Cool. So, um, uh, in the, right in the beginning, Anthony mentioned that he was a, a glimmer in his mom's eye uh, when the song came out in 1970, uh, "Ooh Child" by the four, uh, Five Stair Steps. So when you mentioned the, when we first talked, when I. Uh, uh, invited you you mentioned that so I went back and watched uh, the clip from Boys in the Hood because you can uh, do Boys in the Hood ooh child to bring you right to the scene right I got, I got a little young Lawrence Fishburne in there he all slim yep. right 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 Cooper Gooding looking like he, he couldn't get a piece for us to stick with glue it was like first, first that was startling and then the context of, of 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 what was happening in the scene and then the song so uh and they mentioned how many, how many, oops, they mentioned how many songs uh, or how many movies that that song was actually uh, used in or, uh, or remade by. And that's an international hit. So props to Anthony for bringing that up. I forgot it was in the movie, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that movie was an instant classic for me. Um, really opened my eyes um, to the, the world and, and John Singleton's direction and, and, storytelling gave me a portal into that world and that song underscoring that that beautiful father-son scene after all the all the strife and 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 challenges that the lead character goes through um it just like felt so good to hear that moment it just like instantly that song became um you know a part a part of my life connected to that movie, which was instantly a top 10 film of all times for me. And I, I, to this day, I, I still love it. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Doc, Dr. Marks and I have a little more water under the bridge. Uh, I was a second grader uh, uh, that year. It came out in 70, right? So the, the right, right, right. 
Jan- January, I was in second grade. And then, in, you know, by by the end of the year, I, I, you know, I had moved up. You know, I got a little fro when I was in third grade. But that song was resonating. How about you, Dr. Marcus? Yeah, I, I had a nice little afro going about then. <laughs> I was 12 years old. Um, in my neighborhood where I grew up in Richmond Heights, Florida, Dade County, Miami, it's kind of, you know, on the south side. Um, so by, I was 13 when that song hit, 1970. I was about 12, going on 13. And by then, it felt like on every corner in Richmond Heights, there was a family band all trying to get in on that Jackson 5, Silver's, Osmond thing, you know. Right. Um, and, and they were all good. They're all really, really good. And when, when uh, so when these folks from Chicago, you know, pushed that one out, it was like, oh my, we got to get out here, man. Chicago's showing up, you know. They had, you know, Gary Indiana was blowing it up, of course, you know. And uh, the folks out in, in uh, Utah were blowing it up. Um, even the Silvers in LA. So we we're trying to get something from Miami going on. And, um, well, you know. The history shows that they would never get off the ground with that, but it was a good time. Based on the fact that it, how often it's been remade, the positive message of the song, um, I just get a tingly feeling of inspiration when I listen to it, and I'm sure I'm not alone. And in this season one, We'll have folks that I'm, I'm proof positive will bring you stories and anecdotes around that, that message of inspiration, where they were at the time, and how that may have impacted who they are today. One Song Playlist focuses on one song at a time, delivering great conversations and great stories every time, available through podcasts, anytime.